0: Oh, my God. I owned the VHS, and I have seen it more than any other human being I've ever met in my life. <laughs> Driver is the kind of thing where until you actually have this shared experience of discussing it, you trick yourself into thinking it's something you might have imagined or dreamt.
1: <laughs> What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies? or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney? Maybe Whitney? Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know. But now the battle begins.
0: Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins.
2: Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's another all-new Dueling Decades, the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back. I am Mark James, and this week we bring you a Worst of Wrestling duel. I will be competing with the Worst Wrestling from 1997 alongside the other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, he's got more than two words for you, but he still might tell you to suck it. It's the Media King of the North.
0: Please welcome Joe Finley. Hello, my friends. I have what can only be considered a gift of a year. I've been gifted 1993, and no, it's not going to be all WCW. Uh, this was a a joy To look this one up. So I'm looking
2: forward to it. Also joining the show with the worst wrestling of 1987. Say hello to Chucky Balzac.
1: What's dueling, dueling dudes? It's Chucky Balzac from the Garbage pill Flicks VHS podcast here. I'll be uh, changing my name this evening to Wolfman Savage after the infamous wrestler since I have 1987. And it was truly the worst year for wrestling. Hanging and banging, brother.
2: And as always, here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So, this week, back behind the bench is the host of Bumming with Bobcat, All Rise for Judge Bum Wine Bob.
3: All right, all right, all right. Thanks, guys, for having me back on here. I am pumped and I can't wait to get down to the action. Let's, let's go to the ring.
2: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judges' ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie after all five rounds, we'll go to a final wild card round. Remember, duelers, to review the show. Like, subscribe, and play along at home. It's time for more Decades. All right. Let's toss it right down to our guest judge for this evening, Mr. Bumwine Bob, for the coin toss, which will be between Joe Finley and Chucky this week.
3: All right, guys. So we have our... Makeshift coin here, which is a a happy face on one side, and then some some warm tips for installing your Wi-Fi driver on the other side. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, Joe Finley, you have the honors this week. Why don't you call it?
0: Okay. Well, since I'm genuinely pessimistic and I just set up reset up my computer today, we're gonna go with Wi-Fi instructions side okay. up and All smile right. down. All right. <laughs> All
3: right. Here we go. Here's the flip. Smile up. Sorry, see,
0: I'm even pessimistic about pessimism.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, Chucky, you have control of the board, you get to select our first category.
1: Okay, we're gonna go straight into movies and In 1987. Uh, this gem I found, I had to dig quite deep for information. Uh, but as far as bad wrestling movies of 1987, this was a doozy and stood alone. Uh, because there was no other wrestling movies in 1987. Uh, this, um, I stumbled upon this was well worth uh, the digging because, uh, let's face it, yeah, '87 was not uh, not the biggest year for wrestling movies. Um, Over the Top was about arm wrestling, but that was eliminated right away. Um, The Lost Wrestling Flick I stumbled upon by sheer luck is an out of print shit show, and I say that with the highest respect because I enjoyed trash movies um hammerhead jones is a hulk hogan level champion with just uh just as little hair on his head but as far as the hair on his back and body he's more of a george the animal steel uh old double h is fighting through a rogue gallery of characters and this one only can be defined as death match um and since we're talking about wrestling you can guess what a death match is obviously uh, meanwhile, uh, he's dealing with shady promoters, and he's even dealing with shadier friends in the world of the UWCWWFX, whatever the fuck it was called. Um, <laughs> there's an intense match involving the Undertaker and not Mean Mark. Mar- Mark, uh, I almost call him Mark Marrow, <laughs> um, but uh, Joe, the Undertaker Markowitz, uh, makes you wonder if a uh, young Mean Mark had seen this movie <laughs> back in '87. <laughs> Um, Ted Vernon, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Hammerhead Jones, uh, good old HH double H. Uh, <laughs> um, he sports the best array of uh, Hawaiian and Acapulco shirts throughout this movie. Makes you wonder if The Rock actually saw this back in 87. Mountain Malloy steals the show. Rusty Brooks, actor Rusty Brooks, has the best scene, like some juiced-up Chris Farley who wants a title match with Hammerhead as he puts it now, <laughs> <laughs> Vernon barely uh, known for any any producing roles. As uh, did Scarecrows in 1995 and Village of the Damned. He was a producer on, and this was the one of the only things he actually acted in as Hammerhead Jones. Uh, locally, it was a human. He was a humanitarian, and at the end of the movie, we get a young Fred Ottman, aka Tugboat. Pre WWF as Zarek, the final deathmatch boss of sorts. Um, Hammerhead must face him in this cross between Rocky and the wrestler. If there ever was deathmatch, aka Hammerhead Jones, 1987. If you can find it, it's a fun watch. I found it on Daily Motion because YouTube doesn't wouldn't touch it. Apparently. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, Joe Finley. What did you bring for the movie's round?
0: Well, it's not so much that I brought it, it's that it presented itself (laughs) to me. This is a movie that everybody knows, whether you've seen it or not. If you know wrestling, you know this movie. The movie starts in wrestling, but most of it isn't about wrestling at all, but it stars one of the preeminent wrestlers of all time, and Hulk Hogan. But it also stars Sherman Helmsley, Austin Pendleton, and David Johansson, better known as Buster fucking Poindexter. And let's talk about the plot of this movie. A former professional wrestler is hired to be a bodyguard slash nanny for a couple of bratty kids whose inventor father is being stalked by a rival. I give you, from October 8th, 1993, Mr. Nanny. What a film, folks! So the, the basic idea is Buster Poindexter's character uh, Thanatos, uh, back in the day, tried to get Hulk Hogan to throw a match, and he wouldn't do it. And he went to sh- he went to attack him, and Sherman Hemsley, his manager at the time, jumped in the way and got got injured, and they, he became a security guard and helped get him this job, being like security for. These kids who, in turn, ends up becoming the nanny, only to have Thanatos return. It's the most whacked-out thing in the world. Uh, you can find a ton of other wrestlers uh, in this one. You can find people like Jim Neidhart and Offa and George the Animal Steel. Uh, all kinds of guys in there from those like early wrestling scenes and stuff like that. But it's all about Hulk Hogan. It's all about him in a tutu. And it's all about him having a tea party. I give you the best, worst movie. Starring a wrestler about wrestling, sort of, Mister Nanny.
2: You know, and this is a worst of wrestling episode, and I, I have a feeling that the Hulkster is going to come up
3: more than once tonight. <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely. With, a few times. Uh,
3: slight chance. Yeah. Slight With chance. With that
2: being said, let's go to my movies selection, premiering at 8 p.m. on TNT Tuesday, <laughs> October twenty eighth, nineteen ninety seven. Hulk Hogan leads an elite Navy SEALs team chosen for an audacious mission to rescue a group of nationals being held captive by drug lord soldiers who want their leader released. I give you Assault on Devil's Island, starring Hulk Hogan, Carl Weathers, Shannon Tweed, Martin Cove, and of course, Billy Blanks. So let's go to the Indianapolis Star, October 28th, 1997, for an article announcing the premiere of this made-for-TV movie. You know, just in case you missed it, because it was plugged on Nitro like every 10 seconds. So (laughs) the headline of the article is, Shark Loses to Hulk in Assault. My favorite moment in today's assault on Devil's Island comes when a shark bites wrestler-slash-actor Terry Hulk Hogan and soon regrets it. Hey, what's a great white against the great white Hulkster, the article says. Besides, the shark is the only participant in this rousing action movie who doesn't fire at least a zillion rounds of ammo or kick someone in the face. Assault on Devil's Island premieres at 8 p.m. today on TNT, part of Ted Turner's initiative to produce more made-for-cable action flicks. It should delight most of TNT's championship wrestling show fans since much of the action is the same eye gouging, face kicking, and body slamming. Such antics are served up with a minimum of plot and a modicum of testosterone. Eric Bischoff was actually a producer on this show and he even arranged the contract between Hulk Hogan and Sting to be signed during the commercial breaks of this movie to help boost the ratings. Sadly enough, it actually kind of worked. It drew about a 4.2 rating, beating the WWS Survivor Series flashback special. So, October 28th, 1997, I give you Assault on Devil's Island. All right, let's toss it over to Bumwine Bob for the verdict
3: on the movies round. This is a tough one here. Now, Chucky, now, now the movie that you brought up sounds like a big pile of, of of hot garbage
1: <laughs> dumpster fire dumpster fire yeah i ne- never never heard of it before no me neither until i, watched I haven't, it. haven't seen it no me neither, so yeah.
3: but but it, it sounds like it would be on that list of terribly bad wrestling movies and joe with with mr nanny that's it's, it's a classic in in its own in its own right and and mark with the assault on devil's island that was the Movie plug non-stop. <laughs> As you said, stay tuned. This, this movie's coming up. All right, don't 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 change the channel. All right, guys, forget it. Does anybody really want to see Hulk Hogan lead, leading a Navy SEAL team doing God knows what?
2: Does anybody want to see Shannon Tweed in a made-for-TV movie? Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> Joe wants to.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, it, it, it's a tough call here, but I think... Since we're going off the the worst of the worst here, I think I have to go with Mark and Assault on Devil's Island here being a terribly bad made-for-TV movie. While Mr. Nanny is certainly not going to win any Oscars, um, it has a more, I guess, a little bit tiny redeeming quality of being somewhat rewatchable. I mean,
1: really does it, though? Does it really, though? It,
3: it, 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 it's tough. It's tough, but <laughs> I think a made-for-TV Hulk Hogan action movie has to take the cake on the worst of, of, of wrestling movies.
1: You haven't seen Deathmatch, Hammerhead <laughs> <Amaranth Jones. laughs>
3: uh, I might I, I might have to go watch it now, and I might have to retract this statement, yeah, so please. I will let you guys know.
1: <laughs> I, I've seen some bad Hulk Hogan movies, but that thing was, holy shit, like... <laughs> the acting, just everything. The the camera work was like shot on VHS. It was it was horrible. <laughs> but I, hey, you know Hulk Hogan, he
3: brings the ratings,
2: brother. Yeah,
1: he does. <laughs> and if not, you know it's not going to work for him, brother. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, I pick up a point for the first round. I take control of the board, and I get to select our next category. You know what, guys? We're gonna go over to the music round and hear some worst of wrestling music. So for my music selection this week for 1997, I have the song titled One Crazed Anarchist by Grunge City from the Aircraft Music Library. I'm sure you guys are all familiar. No, you're probably not. (laughs) Well, it's better known as Chris Jericho's second WCW theme. You know, the one that was a blatant ripoff of Pearl Jam's Even Flow. (laughs) So this song even features a guitar solo overlay, very similar in the same almost tune to the original vocals of Even Flow. You can almost kind of hear Eddie singing it. So Chris Jericho's original WCW tune was kind of an upbeat soft rock song that also happened to be a ripoff of the Mammoth song All the Days. But you know, with a heel turn and a new attitude, the Ayatollah of Rock and Rolla needed a brand new theme. So why not just rip off another popular song? So hence Pearl Jam's Even Flow. The theme kind of just blends together with all the uh the generic sounding WCW bumper music and themes it kind of never stood out the way it should have for a star like Jericho. I thought, you know, it did his character kind of a great disservice. If theme songs are kind of meant to represent the athlete, why does having a a theme song? That's just a not so good copy of something you really liked. What does that say about the wrestler? However, this song actually does have some legs to it because years later, in uh, 2014, Jericho would reuse the name One Crazed Anarchist for an original song by his band Fozzy. That song actually doesn't sound like Even Flow by Pearl Jam at all. So if you want to check it out, check out the song for yourself. Uh, in all of its mediocre glory, don't bother heading over to Peacock for or the WWE Network because... WWE never attained the rights to the song and they dubbed it over poorly. Might I add with a much better theme by Jim Johnson, the break the walls down theme. So that's what I give you for the music round. It's a uh, one crazed anarchist by grunge city from the aircraft music library. It's Chris Jericho's second WCW theme.
1: I, I feel like, um, wcw did that a lot i mean was that a theme like they just did that all the time because i mean self-high five was obviously smells like team spirit you know, yeah there, they, there was, was a lot of yeah
2: <laughs> we all you also had saturn's theme which ripped off marilyn manson yeah the yeah, cat yeah, which blatantly yeah. ripped off james brown yeah <laughs> raven's theme which again ripped off nirvana that was a ripoff of come as you are
1: yeah, they, they were like, oh, it's, you know, if it ain't broke, why fix it? Let's keep on <laughs> 90s growing songs, turn them into entries. Yeah, the,
3: these are popular songs. Yeah. We can just kind of make something that's very similar to it, yeah. but not quite ripping it off.
2: If, but... if
1: Vanilla Ice can do it, so can we. Exactly.
2: If <laughs> Vanilla Ice can do it, Jimmy Hart can do it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, Chucky, this one's over to you. What did you bring for the music
1: round? Speaking of Jimmy Hart, he comes up in my uh, my selection here. Uh, good old uh, Mouth of the South uh, shout out um, the second WWF because it was released around the time it was still WWF uh, soundtrack album by Epic Records released on my birthday in 1987 I was nine years old uh, although I did not own this album I was just starting to discover pro wrestling around this time which was cool Um the pro- the pile driver album featured actual vocal performances from several wrestlers themselves, and of course, again, a uh, longtime collaborator in the early '80s, Rick Derringer. Recorded on uh, January twelfth, nineteen eighty seven, uh, less than a year between recordings um, and the release. Uh, no big shocker there. Um, several of the songs in the album would be used as entrance themes for the wrestlers. Uh, Strike Force used an instrumental version of Girls in Cars up until their split in 89. Coco Beware used Pile Driver, the um, title track, into the 90s. Honky Tonk Man used his self-titled track, the Honky Tonk Man, for the majority of his career. The Derringer song Demolition was used for the team until the late 90s. Uh, Jive Soul Bro was used for the theme of Slick for several years uh crank it up was used for the tag team the young stallions the strike force uh where the storyline got into that uh create with the uh created uh with it for jimmy Hart wanted to use the song for the heart foundation but the stallion stole it from them so that started a feud uh, other tracks included hillbilly jim and gertrude <laughs> walking waking up alone which i would i need to look that up because that just sounds amazing Um, Vince McMahon's Stand Back, which is an infamous song and clip, Uh, Look it up on YouTube for the same year uh, they had the Slammys. McMahon did this song Stand Back and it's eh. Uh, (laughs) a Mean Gene Okerlund and Derringer doing Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo, which is another one. Look up on freaking YouTube. That video is hilarious. Uh, Mean Gene freaking rocking out. Very recommended by me. Uh, And all the WWF superstars doing uh, the outro song, If You Only Knew. Uh, Happy to to report uh, when searching newspapers.com, there's the plug, I came across a uh, sweet retro ad for Camelot Music selling the album uh, under uh, Great Gifts for the Holidays because it was released uh, on the holidays. $6.99 for cassette or album and $12.99 for a compact, one of the new compact discs that everyone's getting. And uh in Illinois newspaper had it listed under the top 10 selling albums tapes, compact discs at Jay's video uh making it uh, to the number 8 spot on their list uh October twenty fourth, 1987 beating out Sting and not the stinger, uh, not the real the other Sting and uh the Jets. So uh, there you have that. Uh, the quintessential wrestling album, Pile Driver, the wrestling album to September 21st, 1987, aka Chucky Balzac's birthday.
2: <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right, Joe Finley, what did you bring for the music round?
0: Well, I think that uh Chucky really gave away the game here cuz it's supposed to be the worst and he just gave us the best album ever made. I know.
1: We're uh, <laughs> the best video? Have you seen that Pile Driver video? Oh my god. I
0: owned the VHS and I have seen it
1: more than
0: any other human being I've ever met in my life. And now I now that I've met. <laughs> yes. That's my boy. But I bring you similar but different for 1993, they wanted to kind of recapture that uh, that beauty with WrestleMania the album, and that uh, it was it just said released 1993. I don't have an exact date for it. it was, the Wikipedia just says 1993. <laughs> period.
3: Yeah, sometime in 1993. Who knows. <laughs>
0: Yeah, said recorded 92, released 93. That's all I've got for you. But I'm not going to talk about the album as a whole, even though it did have the famed WrestleMania song. the Oh, oh WrestleMania. I want to talk about a different song that features uh, singers who are wrestlers. If you want to say singers for this one, I give you the WWF SummerSlam Jam. This song, uh, I've, I watched the music video today. Please go to YouTube and watch this music video. It starts with the macho man in a TV studio getting you pumped up for the video and then hitting play. And then it is a hip-hop song all about SummerSlam. But... There's hardly any words in this. It's mostly just SummerSlam, Slam Jam, SummerSlam Jam, SummerSlam Jam. But then it cuts to three wrestlers who the only three who agreed to do this, uh acting like they're in the studio with the you know with the cans up and doing this. We had Macho Man Randy Savage who's going to say yes to anything like that. Brett the Hitman Hart who's not attempting to sing or rhyme even. Uh, he says that he will bend but he will not break. He says he's the best there is, the best there was, the best. Or ever will be, doesn't acknowledge the fact that he's doing a song despite the fact that he's in a recording studio kind of scenario. And of all people, The Undertaker, who <laughs> only says twice, The Undertaker says slam. That's all he says. Uh, you get the beautiful slam jam, thank you, ma'am. I'm the macho man from Macho Man, and then a r- and then randomly a rapper breaks in and says we roll like a team but but every great team needs a theme which i don't even know what the hell that means but uh it is what it is it is one of the craziest songs ever uh and it came from wrestlemania the album in 1993
1: sometime <laughs> this, is an, this is an intense intense round because holy shit
2: wow all right well let's hear what our guest judge for this episode has to say mr Bumwine bob what is your verdict on the music round
3: Man, you guys are really bringing it here and that this this is a another tough one now mark well you you brought up jericho's wcw theme a the second one that you know yes it's a blatant ripoff it it's, it's a good honorable mention here but I mean when you compare it to what, what Chucky and, and Joe brought it's tough to compete with those two and I'm having a tough time I've been peeking over here because Chucky I have the pile driver VHS down here and I thought I had it sitting right here it's in a box somewhere across from <laughs> and, and Joe I had the Wrestlemania CD but when it comes to picking the worst of those two I mean that's that that's a tough call between them because you get 80s bad from 87 and then early 90s bad i mean those are like two different so similar but so different eras of bad bad music
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but uh man it, it's a tough call but i think i have to go with the the originator of, of the bad wrestling music videos and had to go with Chucky and pile driver
1: only because the way Hulk Hogan bites into the sandwich when he sees the girl walking by in the video that that's
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you can see I me. Mean, people can go out there on YouTube. You can watch all of the videos and, and those are so hysterically bad. I mean, it, it's just amazing to watch. So I think that's why I had to give pile driver. Yeah. I mean, WrestleMania the album is a great one. I mean, terribly great. Yeah. But I think Pile Driver's just a little
0: bit worse. Oh, it's it's in a league of its own. It's amazing.
1: was it? And I say hillbilly Jim and Gertrude. I need to look that. Like I saw that, and I'm like, I need to like remember to look that up because what the fu- if that's even out there? Like, <laughs> what does that sound? So- what does that song sound like? You? <laughs> like, and who's Gertrude? Was that his like wife or something? Or
3: I, th- I, think I think it was his dog. I think it was his dog. I think I remember s- either seeing the video or hearing the song. I think it was about his dog. Yeah.
0: <laughs> P- Pile Driver is the kind of thing where, until you actually have this shared experience of discussing it, you trick yourself into thinking it's something you might have imagined or dreamt like there's there's not a situation where all the wrestlers were construction workers and then a hot chick goes no that's not a thing there's not a there's not a jive soul bro music no that's not a thing (laughs) and and, and 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 coco
1: beware give props to coco beware for having the fucking theme song pile driver in his repertoire for probably his half his career He probably came out to that song, you know
3: Yeah, that's that's dedication <laughs> Yeah, right there. he
1: must have really, I mean He really, and when he's in the video He really puts his, you know Pop, He gets really, you know <laughs> Like Coco was going to He thought he was going to be on MTV Or he was on MTV I was going to say, why haven't we gotten
3: like a Coco Beware like tour Yeah, you know, He should be out there touring now Singing these, the song
1: MTV, MTV dropped the ball on that one They could have really launched his career If you ask me Yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, Chucky. Well, you pick up a point and you tie this game. But more importantly, you take control of the board as we head into our final one point round. Where are we going? Oh, yeah,
1: we're going to go. Oh, boy. Let me see. It's like no whammies, no whammies. Let's see. Um, <laughs> let's. Um, okay, I'm going to get away from. Uh, we're going to go music. We're going to go into not so hot products you like that one? All right, not so hot products. Let's talk wrestling figures. Uh shall we? The WWF started releasing in 1984, 85, circa 84, 85, but by 1987, wrestling figures were already pretty hot, sold out in many store toy stores like KB and Toys R Us and Child World and uh as kids uh, as a kid uh, because you know I wanted I always wanted one and I only had one uh, in retrospect and that was um, a, um, a King Kong Bundy I got. Um, and, and, you know, thinking back, these were awful figures. <laughs> the first, uh, the first <laughs> wave of the WWF figures, they were uh, a plastic, hard plastic style figure molded uh, into stuck into one pose. And uh, you know, sure. uh You know, there was a ring available for $15.99, but why? When you just bounce them off and they would just hit each other and that was about it. Uh, In 1987, uh, just in time for Christmas, uh, they released the Wave 4 of uh, them. They were retailed at $6.99 to $9.99 each, uh, which included never-before-released characters like... And note, little side note... Tag teams were even sold separately. So you had the Killer Bees and the Hart Foundation sold separately. You didn't get Brunzel uh, with, you know, Hart and Hart with Nightheart, and you didn't get them together. Uh, Adorable Adrian Adonis, Billy Jack Haynes, Cowboy Bob Orton, Miss Elizabeth, uh, Hercules Hernandez, Jake the Snake Roberts, Ken Patera, Kamala, who is a hot figure now to find, King Harley Race, Kogo Beware. Mr. Fuji, Outback Jack, Ted, Arcidi, <laughs> And of course the first ever Vince McMahon figure was in this set posed pointing up number one with a red sport coat, holding a microphone in the other hand fused to his chest. Uh, but at least each figure came with the po- a mini poster, I guess uh, you can find one of these figures full on the card for about $1,000 these days. Uh, these were the only wrestling figures around 1987 available from 84 to 90. And then in 1990, finally, Hasbro brought out another series, the better series of wrestling figures. And Galoob dropped toys re- uh, released as well for the WCW figures. But those were also just hard plastic but, but smaller scale. Uh- so <laughs> In 1987, you got it—the uh, series four LJ and WWF figures. Rough times for kids who loved wrestling, like us, in the old school territories.
2: All right, Joe Finley, what did you bring for your worst hot product?
0: So I brought an interesting one this time. Uh, in September of 1993, uh, the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System released WWF King of the Ring. Uh, the game featured Bret Hart, Lex Luger, Shawn Michaels, Mr. Perfect, Razor Ramon, Randy Savage, Yokozuna, Hulk Hogan, Undertaker, Bam Bam Bigelow, and you, which was just a generic character with a question mark for a face. Uh, <laughs> He had, they all had their own uh, stats and stuff like that as far as speed, strength, and stamina, and they gave some to you as well, which was just kind of middle-of-the-road stats. Uh, the characters looked nothing like their real-life counterparts, especially you looking at all of us. He didn't look like any of us. Um, The game was slow. The songs were awful. If You you can actually look this up on YouTube as well, and you can hear each person's 8-bit Theme song, and they could not have been lazier, worse versions of the theme song. The sounds were awful. It was this awful sound for every hit. And every time any hit happened, this w- god awful, like crowd cheer would happen. And so those two things happened back and forth. But that's not the worst part about this game. The worst part about this game is something that I mentioned that you might not have caught. The NES released this game. The Super Nintendo had been out for 2 years. <laughs> so wow. the 3 months earlier the Super Nintendo released WWF's Royal Rumble, which was one of the most popular wrestling games of all time at that point. Uh, my favorite part is that you could always choke somebody when the ref wasn't looking. You had the "uh, uh, uh sound. It was like listening to uh, like Joan Rivers with a cold or something like that. But Super Nintendo existed. Sega Genesis existed. The Sega Genesis version of the game came out the same month. As this Nintendo Entertainment System game, so this is just a case of Nintendo not calling it quits fast enough, especially with their licensed products. I give you WWF King of the Ring for the Nintendo Entertainment System.
1: And Joe, may I add that is an LJN game as well? It is an LJN game as well. Yeah,
3: it all it all goes together.
2: All all full
1: circle, brother.
2: All right, guys. So for my worst hunt product, I kind of wanted to find some bad wrestling merch from 1997. So the item I found is the type of birthday gift you would receive from your grandmother if she found out you like wrestling this and like a $5 check. So let's all unwrap it together. So we have the WCW Monday Nitro mini championship belt Playset. So the description on the package reads as this kid size belt buckle to wear that looks like real championship belt with wrestling ring playset and figures inside. Yes, this is a mini championship buckle that when it opens up like a clamshell, it has a three inch wrestling ring inside to be used with the one and a half inch figures. So this is basically Polly Pockets with power slams, but you really can't use it because the figures are way too small to actually play with because they're so small. They actually also have to have a foot stand much like you'd see on like green army men, which takes up most of the space in the ring. So this actually came in two different varieties. You had the heavyweight championship belt that actually came with a red mini cage, Hollywood, Hogan, and Sting. And then you got the tag team belt with Hall and Nash, The Outsiders, and The Nasty Boys. The text on the box says, Make every day a main event with your WCW wrestling ring. This product actually boasts real wrestling sounds. It says, quote, one, two, three, you're out. Quote, unquote, wrestler action sounds. Quote, unquote, crowd cheering and bell ringing. Uh, The package then reads, thumping, bashing, pulsating, poseable action figures to collect the ultimate competitors from WCW. So let's find out what the full list of one and a half inch ultimate competitors actually looks like. You had Hogan, Sting, Chris Benoit, Scott Hall, Lex Luger, Kevin Nash, the Giant, and the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan. Which one of these things is not like the other? (laughs) So for me, if you're into playing with small things around your waist, you might like this one. But as far as wrestling merch goes, I I think it's just the worst. So that's what I have. It's the WCW Mini Championship Belt Buckle Wrestling Ring from 1997. You could pick it up at Ames for
1: $7.99. Ames, nice. That's a deep cut. Ames, <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah that, that's worth it right there.
1: <laughs> that reminds me of real quick was um the muscle uh figures. Remember the little muscle guys, the pink? Uh, yeah, yeah, they had a belt that you would put them in the belt and they would, uh, it would hold them. So, WCW again, biting off people.
2: <laughs> These figures were like half the size of the muscle figures, so they were
1: tiny. Wow.
2: <laughs> All right, let's throw this over to our judge for the evening, Mr. Bumwine. Bob, what is your verdict on the hot products
3: round? Now, now Mark, don't be hating on, on the taskmaster because he got <laughs> into, the, into the, the set there. But, but, but hey, when, when you're when you're booking the shows, I, I'm sure I guess he has some sort of an in, you know, to say, hey, you know, I'm making these these storylines work. Can I get a can I get my figure in with these guys?
1: <laughs> I respect you, Booker Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: I I had no I had no recollection of of that that mini belt buckle thing I'm like I probably I'm sure I I probably saw it at Ames you know going down the aisles and was probably looking at it as as a kid and like why would I want this thing when I can get an actual wrestling figure for the same price instead of these little tiny things on on a belt buckle Uh, that's WCW for you in there. Their their wisdom of of great merchandise. <laughs> yeah.
1: They had some doozies in their day. <laughs> oh
3: yeah, 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 yeah. And Chucky, well, you bring the you know the line of the the LJN figures. I mean, I guess I mean when you look back at them,
1: it's all we had.
3: It, it's all you <laughs> it's had. All so I mean, it, it's bad, but it's good. Yeah. Because when you see what came after them, then it makes the LGN ones look like you know yeah. crap. Yeah. Because you are like, oh, you got the Hasbro ones. These are actually, you know, smaller, yeah. more.
1: They were more articulate. articulate. Yeah. They, they had moved. They had actual moves. They moved up from being hard plastic <laughs> with one pose to being like, Oh, look at Brutus, the barber that Mark's got. He can get a, he can get a guy in a, a sleeper hold kind of. Yeah. You know? yeah. Not just a guy that's just
3: like, he's just like this the whole time. Yeah. Like, okay. Instead they, they we were like this, this
1: they were like this, but they would slam. So, you know, it's. Right. Got right. Right. Got right. But great. at the time that was like great. the greatest yeah. thing. Yeah.
3: Because that's all you had at the time. It's like, oh, these are figures are awesome because there's no other wrestling figures available. Yeah. So it's you look back at it now and you're like, well, these are kind of crappy. We took, but the, we took them for granted.
1: We took them for granted. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
3: But I, I think I think Joe nailed it with the the King of the Ring for the NES here. And like you said, I had gotten a Super Nintendo in in '93, and I got the Royal Rumble game, and that game was amazing. Me and my friends played that. All the time, and I remember hearing about the King of the Ring for NES, and was like, "Oh, cool! That game's got to be great." And I think it wasn't until probably the the late '90s, early 2000s, when I finally got an emulator on my on my computer that I finally got a chance to play the King of the Ring game. Yeah, and I was like, huh. "This game is garbage." <laughs> yeah. It's like a big like, huh? <laughs> like, yeah, it's like it's, thank God I huh. never spent money on this thing. Yeah, it's so close It was like. It's like why, like you said. I guess they just wanted to put a game out for people that still had Nintendo, yeah. and didn't upgrade to a <laughs> Super Nintendo
1: yet. It's surprisingly yeah. worth a lot of money now. That that's a, a hard to find Nintendo game <sighs> is King of the Ring. Like it's uh, yeah. it's a high tag. Uh, you know it's ridiculous like, yeah because I like played. like 100
3: people bought it yeah and,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it's terrible yeah. no but i i have the emulator like you do in the i, I played it and i'm like god this is a piece of trade it's like why did they even make this
3: <laughs> yeah 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 so i think when it comes to the the, oh, the worst wrestling related merchandise gaming wise Joe Joe gets the gets the point for this one here with the with the King of the Ring for the Nintendo Entertainment System.
2: All right. This game is all tied up at one point apiece. We're heading into our first two-point round. Mr. Joe Finley, you
0: have control of the board. All right, well, let's go ahead and uh take on the news round. And so, for this one, I give you the news of the end of a career. I want to talk about the wonderful man known as the Junkyard Dog. Um well known for a long time, you know, a mainstay of early Wrestlemanias. Uh just always around, a man who came out to a real rock song, not a fake rock song. He was coming out to another one bites the dust. And uh towards the end of his career, he was a wrestler for WCW. And it wasn't until 1991 that he actually ended up getting his very first championship with the company, which was the six man tag team championship, which I forgot was a thing till I was reading up on this. Uh, so that was interesting, but he ends up leaving shortly thereafter. So he got that in February. He leaves in August. He comes back in 1992. He's lost a bunch of weight. Got, he's in better shape than he's ever been pretty much in his life. And he was essentially just passed around the organization as a tag team member for other people. He showed up because people were feuding, and he shows up and he tagged with Ron Simmons for a little while, and then with Barry Windham for a little while. Ends up tagging with Jim Neidhart for the uh, for a little while. And then on July 28th, 1993, he leaves the WCW, and that is the last time he is seen as a regular on televised uh, wrestling so he had done some indies and he's made some other appearances here and there but that was the end for him as just kind of a main roster wrestler. Uh and it just it's sad to watch a long storied career peter out like that where you're just kind of getting tossed around. It's kind of like becoming like a journeyman NBA player or something like that where you end up on like seven teams, you know, in your last seven years or even less sometimes. So Another one bites the dust in terms of careers too, I suppose. Uh, and I give you July twenty eighth, nineteen ninety three, at the end of the junkyard dog's televised career.
3: Yeah, but then, but then, and the sad thing was, he didn't. Even though that was the end of his career, but then he didn't, you know, live much longer. Than yeah, he died either, so in nineteen ninety
0: eight, so he didn't even get to enjoy the retirement.
3: Yeah. All right, Chucky. It is over
2: to you. What did you bring for the news round?
1: I don't want to even try to top Junkyard Dog because he was one of my all-time faves, man. Um, but out of uh, the Fort, uh, Fort Worth Star-Telegram on April 19, 1987, the headline read, fans attend wrestler's funeral. Here we go, guys. You know, it wouldn't be a show without talking about wrestler dying, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, after only four years in the business, um, this wrestler debuted in 1983 for the WCCW. Feuding with the Freebirds and even did a short stint in Japan uh, against Enoki. Um A few days before his suicide, uh, Mike Von Erich uh, was arrested after, uh, for a DUI. Um, so there was trouble afoot, it seemed, for uh, the old Von Erich family around 1987. Uh, two years prior, he almost died of toxic shock brought on by a bacterial infection after he separated his shoulder and had to have surgery. Uh, It's no wonder there was always rumors of the Von Erich curse. Uh, The article mostly talked of the spectacle that was his funeral um, with fans snagging styrofoam remains of uh, carnations and the eucalyptus cross uh, before being thwarted by security. These unruly Texans Uh, throns of fans lined the streets outside the downtown Dallas church Saturday hoping to catch a glimpse of the famous Von Erich family and other wrestlers who attended the one-hour service among the wrestlers at the funeral were the Dingo Warrior, Skip Sweet Brown Sugar Young, and uh, of course, Percy Pringle. Uh, And and a funny quote that I uh, needed to share with you guys, uh, when Pringle, who wears a brightly printed sports coat in the ring, arrived uh, in sunglasses and a brown pinstripe suit, Whispers of, there's Percy, rippled through the crowd. More than 300 attended uh, the funeral. Uh, when he was being lowered into the ground, uh, the crowd expanded up to 600 patrons, according to the article. Now, they may be kayfabe in that number a little bit, but. Um, his uh, final match took place at the Sportatorium on April 3rd, 1987, against Mike Williams. Only nine days before he died, or actually, I'm sorry, he took his own life in an overdose suicide, uh, which did not surprise longtime fan and Dallas truck driver Dan Fuller, who was at the funeral and quote said, drugs are a part of life, Fuller said, life either goes on or you shut it off. He decided to shut it off and it's a crying shame he did
2: that is harsh
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) the Von Eric Mike Von Eric was the second youngest brother of Chris being the youngest David, Kerry, and Kevin being the oldest tragic nonetheless we all know as wrestling fans the history of the deaths that linked to the Von Erics debatable to say maybe a little cursed maybe a little cursed (laughs) Uh, rest in peace. Mike Von Eric died, committed suicide April 12th, 1987. Buried April 18th. Had to bring the Von Erics up, guys. Sorry, you know, you, know ah. you knew one had to die in '87.
0: Yeah, <laughs> can you do me a solid though and just never come to my funeral?
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't want that that truck driver to show up. That's the guy who's really bringing it down. I promise, <laughs>
1: okay. I promise, Joe. If I show up, I'll steal the um eucalyptus cross yep. i will i'll take that yep. and yeah that a point. I, I promise that a point. i'll take it and maybe some car maybe some uh plastic carnation uh styrofoam things if they have them
2: Yeah, Chuckie's gonna be that guy <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm sorry i couldn't keep it together that guy's quote was amazing okay. <laughs> he was at the funeral so you know go figure. <laughs> wow that's pretty dark man that's texas for you
2: speaking of dark <laughs> We're going to go over to the St. Cloud Times, St. Cloud, Minnesota, October 6th, 1997, where we see a headline that says professional wrestler found dead in Bloomington Motel. Cause of death not known? Autopsy scheduled. Friends suspected something was wrong with Brian Pillman the night before the 35-year-old professional wrestler and former linebacker of the Cincinnati Bengals was found dead in his motel room. Pillman of Walton, Kentucky, was found dead shortly after 1 p.m. Sunday. Now, this is where the article gets even worse. And not because of the Pillman thing. This is another level of worse because they can't even report the story accurately. The article says, Brian Meltzer, editor of the Wrestling Newsletter. Of course, they're talking about Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. (laughs) So Brian Meltzer said, Pillman wrestled Saturday in St. Paul and was to have taken part in a pay-per-view event Sunday in St. Louis. The WWF had chartered a plane that was scheduled to leave from Minneapolis at 1.30 p.m., Meltzer said. When Brian didn't show up for the bus ride, police were asked to check the room. So the passing of Brian Pillman If that's not bad enough, believe it or not, this story gets actually worse. Because 24 hours later, a Monday Night Raw, Vince McMahon gets the incredible idea to interview Brian Pillman's crying widow live on the air. It's a move that actually won the WWF, the Most Disgusting Promotional Tactic Award, by the Wrestling Observer Newsletter in Mr. Brian Meltzer. So... (laughs) Vince actually <laughs> opens the interview saying that, oh, there's a great deal of speculation around the death. He asks Melanie to tell us what she's been told in order to end all the speculation. And she comes out and says that her husband, Brian Pillman, was under a lot of stress and died in his sleep of a heart attack. Immediately, Vince McMahon pushes back with the idea that it was too much pain medicine that killed Brian Pillman in a kind of obvious attempt to clear his name and the WWF of any wrongdoing. He then says, you know, there was some speculation last night when we spoke that because of his injuries, he had to take a great deal of prescribed medicine. Though there is some speculation that he may have taken too much, Vince says. In fact, if this is proven to be the case, which it is yet to be, is there anything you would like to say to aspiring athletes who do get hurt and have to resort to painkillers? This is 24 hours after the death of Brian Pillman. The whole thing is cringeworthy, distasteful, and disingenuous. as Melanie was not even really with Brian Pillman at the time, and was already with another man. So I give you The Death of Brian Pillman, October 5th, 1997. It's a dark, twisted tale. And definitely the worst news of 97.
1: I just say, fuck uh, Brian Meltzer.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right, Bob, it's over to you. Oh, oh, that's uh, <laughs> I, I think right away. I mean, well, well, Joe's news about the junkyard dog, about him retiring, you know, is sad. But at least at least he wasn't dying at the time. So that, that's <laughs> we'll, we'll give him credit. He. It has to take him off the list
1: usually he brings the death too right you i was gonna say I was, I was
3: waiting i was i was thinking when he brought junkyard dog i was like wait very, when did he die out. i'm like okay no he, he was still he was still alive then it's like okay very, was,
1: very out
0: of character joe yeah. i know <laughs> <laughs> they didn't start dropping like flies till like until around uh mark's time seven. yeah 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 <laughs>
3: And then Chucky brings the you know the Von Eric curse and everything related to to that what that family has gone through. But I think Mark takes the the cake here with the Brian Pillman death and not so much that, but the the 24 hours later on Raw and interviewing, you know, you know, Melanie Pillman. And I remember watching that at the time and was just like why are we putting this on TV? Uh, You really think this is a good idea.
2: And then to find out later that it was very disingenuine and, you know, she was paid and the kids never got the money. And yeah, it's fucked.
3: Yeah, yeah. So when it comes to what we're discussing, like the worst wrestling related (laughs) news, I think just the whole black cloud around that whole scenario kind of takes the cake so so mark you 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 get the you get the points on this one
2: all right well i jump out to a three to one lead we're heading into our final round uh and that is going to be the television round so let's talk about some worst wrestling television i'll go first on this one uh don't no need to defer here uh for my worst television wrestling pick let's head over to the MGM Grand Las Vegas, Nevada on the night of October 26, 1997 for WCW's Halloween Havoc live on pay-per-view. Call your local cable operator for availability. So overall, this is actually a pretty good show, but then there's the main event and it kind of just ruins this one for everybody. This event and match are prime examples of what WCW used to do all the time. The undercard was full of great wrestling matches. And then the main events were unathletic over dramatic and over politicked. So the undercard was solid with Chris Jericho picking up a win versus ghetto, uh, Kurt Henning defeating Ric Flair. You have DDP and macho man in a match that actually makes DDP a star. Then you have just short of a five-star classic between Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero. But it's all for naught because, and then you get the match that won Worst Match of the Year in 1997 by uh, Brian Meltzer. <laughs> A match that features the wrestler who won the awards in 1997 for Most Overrated, Reader's Least Favorite Wrestler, and Worst Wrestler. It's Hulk Hogan versus Roddy Piper in the worst looking steel cage match you have ever seen. This abomination of a match took place 15 years after it should have. And it even devolves into one point to Piper biting Hogan on the ass only to follow it up with an atomic drop moments later, making Hogan grab and spread his ass cheeks apart, hopping around the ring like the Goatsy guy throwing a temper tantrum. The cage for this match goes around the ring and around the the ring skirting, much like they would have in Hell in a Cell which coincidentally debuted three weeks before this cage match. And at one point, Hogan tells the referee to open the cage door so he can escape. So Tony Schiavone on commentary says, all right, that's it. If Hogan gets out, this is it. Just then, Roddy Piper pushes Hogan out of the cage. They both step out of the cage and continue to fight on the outside, totally ignoring all the rules of this match and wrestling. Then about eight different stings show up and surround the ring. Piper and Hogan go back in the cage. Piper puts Hogan to sleep, only for Macho Man to run down the aisle. And despite the fact that the cage door was open and Macho Man had a bad ankle, he climbs to the top of the cage to drop a double axe handle on Hot Rod. Kinda. He kinda botches that one and blows out like both of his ankles, it looks like. So the Wrestling Observer Newsletter said about the match that the main event also featured a run-in by a planted fan that was actually just there so Hogan could kick the shit out of a fan of Sting in the ring to get extra heat. Horrible move. So, And a lot of fans were actually leaving before the Hogan-Piper cage match even started, and they were leaving in droves during the post-match angle. So it's Hogan and Piper, Halloween Havoc, 1997. And much like Hulk Hogan, as Piper found out, this one, it kind of just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. So that is my pick for the worst wrestling on television in 1997. Uh, let's throw this one over to Chucky Balzac for his pick for the television round.
1: All right, we're going to go back to uh, 1987 holiday season. We already had the uh, Pile Driver album drop. And uh, from Chicago Tribune TV listing, I found uh, uh, reads uh, 10 p.m. Fans Choices for Wrestling Music Awards, Uh, Hulk Hogan and more. And just for this podcast, showing my commitment, I sat through the full hour for the first time since I watched this on broadcast uh, TV during the holidays, 1987, local Channel 32 Chicago. Uh, this special event honoring individuals involved within the professional wrestling aspects of the World Wrestling Federation, the second edition of the ceremony, quote unquote, referred to the commercials as on air as the 37th annual kayfabe, uh, took place in, on December 16, 1987 from beautiful Caesars Atlantic City in Atlantic City, New Jersey kayfabe. Uh, This unique award show was uh, kicked off by uh, none other than Vincent Kennedy McMahon, then at the time being only the announcer, Kayfabe, going full preacher man mode, pandering to a fake crowd, complete with canned booze, cheers that went on the entire night, Kayfabe, then handing the hosting duties over to Jesse Ventura and Mean Gene Okerlund, who insulted Kayfabe President Jack Tunney, as he briefly waved to a fake crowd in canned laughter. Back to Mean Gene and Jesse the Body Ventura giving an award to George the Animal Steel for Best Performance by an Animal. K Fabe. He beat <laughs> out Jake, Jake the Snake Roberts, Snake Damien, Matilda the Bulldog, and Frankie Coco Beware's Bird. K Fabe. Uh, George the Animal Steel accepts the award, eats the podium, and segues into the honky-tonk man, Kay performing his own entrance theme. Full-on Elvis performance rolling on to sta- or onto the stage with Jimmy Hart in a pink Cadillac convertible with 50 style females dancing and an unwanted cameo by the Hart Foundation rolling around awkwardly and dancing on stage for unknown reasons. Jesse Ventura and Jesse Ventura on piano, Kayfabe, baffling if he was really playing or not, uh, or was just another facade. Like the crowd piped in, uh, the crowd piped in, Kayfabe. More musical numbers were performed as the spectacle rolled on. Jimmy Hart singing "Girls in Cars," but Kayfabe, he was actual singer songwriter back in the fifties but that doesn't matter a damn bit here. Kfabe. as the night dragged on winners. Kfabe included Hulk Hogan's real American award award. Kayfabe then went on oh, that went to superstar Billy Graham, the best body award. Kayfabe went to ravishing Rick rude. A brawl ensued Kayfabe between hacksaw Jim Duggan. And at the time King Harley race. And that went into the commercial break, K Fabe. Uh, Bobby the Brain Heaton Scholarship Award, K Fabe. And finally the coup de grace, of Vince McMahon performance of Stand Back with Hulk Hogan on guitar, Brutus Beef, Brutus the Barber, Jake the Snake, The Killer Bees, Junkyard Dog, and Macho Man Randy Savage on a six-person per- percussion section. That is infamous on the interwebs if you're looking for something hardcore kayfabe <laughs> And of course, the forgettable full WWE roster taking us home, uh, performing It's Only If Only You Knew as the show's closing number from the album Pile Driver. Most likely, most of the songs performed on this show were from Pile Driver. This Dreadful Night of KFABE. Yes, friends. This kayfabe train wreck I speak of is the second annual or 37th annual Slammy Awards airing December 19th, 1987.
2: K Fabe. Wow. That sounds <laughs> atrocious.
1: And I sat through the whole fucking hour. Yes, it was atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, maybe it was okay, but as a 40-year-old, I was like, what the fuck? Happening right now <laughs> kayfabe how stone did you
2: have to get to sit
1: through that kayfabe kayfabe i was really fucking stoked <laughs> kayfabe though kayfabe bro yeah yeah kayfabe brother
2: all right joe finley why don't you close us out here on the television round what are your offerings
0: uh i'm calling my shot right here i just won this round all righty you guys had great picks. This is not disparaging your picks. My pick, though, is the worst of the worst anything. This would win the worst television, period. Okay, let's do this. August 18th, 1993, I'm going to take you to Clash of Champions 20, uh, 24 for WCW on a, an interview segment called Flare for the Gold, hosted by Ric Flair. And he had on the show... Sting and Davy Boy Smith, who were going to be teaming up with Dustin Rhodes and a. Uh, and a mystery guest to go against Sid Vicious, Big Van Vader, and Kanan Cole, uh, who were the Harlem. You Eats.
1: Son of a bitch,
0: Joe. <laughs> son Brown. of a bitch, Joe. Dude, do I, I, know, do you know, I know? I was going to say just one word and just stop, but I'm not now because now you know what I'm talking about and we're going to drag this out. And it's just like, it's just going to hurt. It's just really going to hurt. So, anyways, there's a big back and forth between everybody. they like uh, calling each other out and, you know, just. Sid getting as red faced as he always does when he's screaming at people. And they announce, should we announce who our mystery guest is going to be at Fall Brawl? And everyone's like, yeah. And he's like, well, here he is. I give you the Shockmaster. Pyro goes off by a wall for some reason, and a very large man busts through the wall, falls face first. His helmet comes off. His helmet, I might add, is a Stormtrooper helmet that is painted purple and covered with glitter. He falls face first. You can hear... This is all stuff that actually exists uh, if you can find the original audio. Um, oh, wait, where is exactly what it said? You can hear... Uh, Ric Flair saying oh no you can hear a laughing Sid Vicious saying oh god you can hear Harlem Heat's Cole aka um, Booker T saying who is this motherfucker and Davey Boy Smith <laughs> exclaiming he fell flat on his arse he fell flat on his fucking arse now if you don't know who the wrestler was his name was Fred Ottman he might be better known to you as Tugboat or Typhoon from the WWF days uh, but he was he came out dressed in that storm trooper helmet and this big puffy uh, vest that looked like it was just a weirdly wrapped around him maybe like sleeping bag I don't know but then the best part happens afterwards when he starts to point like he's talking to them and he's got the microphone up but nothing's coming out until you hear a chuckling Oli Anderson who's actually doing the voice of the shock master from backstage start to talk and you can hear his laughter at the very beginning of, of this bit it is the worst most embarrassing moment in the history of wrestling and like it's talked about there are like mini documentaries about this thing to this day it is just one of those crazy bits uh fred ottman still gets asked about it in interviews when it gets brought up it is a bananas moment go watch it it's the best two minutes you'll ever spend in your life watching it on youtube uh that's what I give you—the debut of the Shockmaster. I will tell you though that Dusty Rhodes did say that there was a piece of two by four, uh, b- between that sheetrock that was added after they rehearsed it, so he didn't know it was there, and that's why he tripped. But he tripped, and it was glorious—the Shockmaster. Wow, epic! I'm gonna joke.
1: shock the world. <laughs> shock the world. That's what St- I remember Sting saying: that. "The Shockmaster." All right, and and he (laughs) fell over. He shocked the world, all right.
2: (laughs) All right, Bob, why don't you shock us all with your verdict on the television
3: round and ultimately this game? Now, I don't know how shocking this result will be, but I have to say for this round here, as you guys went one by one, I was like, oh, there's no way you you can top this. You know, Mark kicks it off with the, the Halloween Havoc 97. You know, the quote unquote, the the age in the cage and just how terrible that was and how kind of overdrawn. It's like when Piper came back to WCW in, in late 96 and him and Hogan had their uh, Starcade match, it was like, OK, you know, this, this is pretty cool. Then they had a rematch at, at Super Brawl the following year. It was like, OK, all right. It's, it's all right. And then that's February. Now, this is October yeah. and this is still going on. <laughs> yep. While while everybody's still waiting just for the the Hogan sting match uh, to happen. Now, I guess you could have brought that up as one of the um, most disappointing moments of, of 97. (laughs) There was a few ways I could have gone that or NWO sold out. Yes. All all, all great, all great choices. But so I'm like, I'm like, Mark brings that up. I'm like, Oh yeah, this is terrible. There's no way you can top this. And then. Chucky comes along with the 1987 Slammy Awards. And Mark, if you know me from my, our last time on this game, if it has some sort of a sentimental value to me, I'll usually give that the nod. And that was one of those things. I actually sought out a VHS of that on eBay it was probably 20 years ago, you know, before you could readily get this stuff. And I bought a bootleg VHS copy of it off of eBay to see the event. Cause I'd never seen it before. And I seen like the wrestle crap postings about it. Like how bad this was. And I'm like, I got to find this thing. And sitting through that hour is, is terrible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so hard. I got up to when honky tonk man was doing uh, the honky tonk man song. And when I saw that Jesse Ventura was playing the piano or, Kayfabe playing the piano. I don't, he might have been playing the piano. I don't fucking know. That's what I was. Baffled. I was, baffled. was he playing? Was he not I was playing? Like, I don't know. What was going yeah, on? And I was high and I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? I'm like, why is the Heart Foundation on the fucking stage rolling around like fucking baboons? I'm like, what the fuck, dude?
3: Because you brought that up and I'm like, I'm like, oh, I gave you the points before for Pile Driver. I'm like, oh, this kind of goes coincides. I'm like, oh, he, he's, I'm like, he's got this. There's no way you can, you can top this. And then. Joe comes along with the most shocking moment of all of 1993 and of of possibly all of pro wrestling and which was another legendary tale that I didn't get to see live when it happened, but I had seen the posts online. And this was back in the early days of the internet when you had to really go searching for those clips and you'd have to download that two minute clip using like your, your real player And wait for it to buffer and it would be nice and grainy of seeing the shock master going through the the pyro bursting the flames and then him falling on his face and me and my friends, you know, all huddled around the computer screen watching it just laughing for hours just watching it on repeat (laughs) going going through and then today how it took on a life of its own as one of the most embarrassing moments in, in wrestling history. And with the Shockmaster, it's hard to top that one. And it's one of the worst moments. Joe gets the points for for this round on that.
2: All right. Well, you know what that means. This game is all tied up between me and Joe. We're going to a final wild card round. Ooh,
1: death match. Hell in the cell.
3: <laughs> wire, steel cage. All that shit. Uh, fluorescent light bulb so, death match.
1: Yep, here we go. Here we go. I got my popcorn. Let's do it.
2: <laughs> well, then I brought the perfect thing for this round. All right, guys. So for my wild card pick, we're actually going to pick another television show. Uh, let's go to the night of, of May 9th, 1997 for an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch <laughs> entitled The Crucible. Sabrina's fears become a reality when she takes part in in the recreation of the Salem witch trials and is accused of sorcery while defending Jenny's honor. Now this is just a really great episode of Sabrina, the teenage witch. No, it's, it's really not because they all suck. Let's just face it. I've never watched an episode of this show until today. So you're probably asking yourself okay, it's Sabrina, the teenage witch. She goes to Salem. They recreate the witch trials. What the hell does this have to do with wrestling? Well, damn good thing this whole episode opens up. With uh, Sabrina in her bedroom, and a barbarian played by Mr. Kevin Nash gets lost and comes into her bedroom, claiming, hey, we just merged with another horde, and uh, Dispatch messed up the instructions. I'm sorry. And that's how he comes through an interdimensional portal and comes into her, her bedroom through her front door. Now, if that's not bad enough, that whole entrance theme featuring Kevin Nash was shot in 3d so when kevin nash comes to the door he's got like a spike club in his hand and he's you know like hitting it towards the camera because it's all shot in 3d so that's what i give you for the wild card round it's kevin nash appearing in an episode of sabrina the teenage witch as a barbarian crashing his way into a teenage girl's bedroom so episode aired may 9th 1997
1: that's not creepy at all. <laughs> <man>. <laughs> <laughs> Can't fuck a big sexy man.
2: All <laughs> right, Joe Finley, over to you for the wild card round.
0: All right, well, I'm going to take you to June 19, 1993, at the Super Summer Sizzler Spectacular at ECW. Or. S- I guess, um, and we're gonna take you to one match. There was a lot, of, a lot of matches on that. No, no, none super memorable in terms of having like names like Sandman was there. Other people were there, but uh, it it wasn't like peak. ECW yet, but uh, there was one women's match where Miss Miss Peaches faced a terrible Tigra in a catfight humiliation match. (laughs) (laughs) And the winner of the match is the one who strips the loser. Now, we've seen that in the WWE during their Attitude Era, but this is where it all began. Uh, And this one uh, took it pretty hard. Uh, So after both women removed one of each other's, uh, one another's t-shirts, Peaches with assistance from the debuting angel wins the match by tearing off tiger's shorts but following the match stetson and rockin rebel attack peaches and angel stripping angel topless topless not just without a <laughs> shirt to, like not just like you know, like there's a bra or something underneath. topless <laughs> before being driven off by Larry Winters and Sandman. So this is kind of where we're at. Like the ECW trying to go super extreme by stripping their wrestlers naked on pay-per-view. I don't really know where this thing actually showed up, (laughs) but, uh, but it was on June 19th, 1993. And yeah, objectifying women for no particular reason at the summer, super summer sizzler spectacular.
2: Whoa. All right, well, that's one hell of a wild card round. Let's toss it down to Bumwine Bob for his final verdict.
3: Yeah, you guys didn't make this one easy because it was a uh, couple interesting picks there. I mean, with Joe and the, and the ECW, super summer sizzler, topless. I mean, I guess, you know, it's the summer sizzler, topless women in the summer. You know, you can't, can't go wrong uh, with, with that. But uh, yeah, that's before the... The real ECW kicked into their starting, sort of getting their ways at that point. But I think Mark with the with the, the Kevin Nash on Sabrina. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I I think I have to give you the the points for that wow. one there because that was a interesting uh, little I guess a little cameo. I mean, I guess because Nash was already doing acting prior to that. I mean, it would be in the the Super Shredder in um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, two. But uh, you know, still you know, big, sexy. You know, while it might be a creepy appearance, you know, <laughs> the clip's over on YouTube. You can check it out, or if
2: you're so inclined, you can watch the full episode over on Hulu.
3: So. Oh, see, yeah, give, give him the plug. Yeah, why not? <laughs> good, good, <laughs> like, go watch good stuff. the whole it's in, Yeah, I because I, I actually I remembered the this the Sabrina the Salem Witch Trials episode, but had no recollection of the kevin nash appearance in the, in the beginning of it there so that's i was like cameo. did that really happen I'm like, <laughs> yeah it's only in
2: that first title sequence and that's the yeah. only yeah. sequence that was shot with the 3d camera so yeah
3: <laughs> yeah 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 i mean you go with that and 3d i mean that's like the the two you know
2: i mean kevin nash and 3d what more can you ask for really
3: yeah. That, that's true that that's that gives you the win right yeah.
0: there <laughs> wrestlers love showing up in 90s things like that remember when vader was the one kid's dad in boy meets world yeah and a, yes <laughs> yeah. yes,
2: yeah. yes. <laughs> it's really too bad that the cameos didn't start till the 90s because back in the yeah. 80s you know they could have had some great crossovers like it's really too bad that jimmy hart you know, had the the nickname the Mouth of the South, because that would have been a great nickname for Blanche Devereaux on the Golden Girls.
1: <laughs> I mean, we did get Hulk Hogan and Mr. T on the A-Team. True.
2: That's true. Yes. That was that, that's a classic. And, and then we got sorry. about five movies where Hulk Hogan was just trying to be the A-Team. So. Right. <laughs> a whole
3: series, Thunder in Paradise. Oh, so good. Assault on Devil's Island. Uh, All horrible.
2: <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. man. All right. Well, Thanks a lot, Bob. You are a great judge. And I'm not just saying that because you gave me the win on this one. But, you know. It helps. It helps. Why don't you tell everybody what you got coming up on your show?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey. Well, hey, guys. Thanks for having me on here. It's always a great time. I mean, after I did it the first time last year, we were like, oh, we got to do this again. Because it popped up in my you know, feed of the, oh, one year ago, I was like. We got to do it again because I had such a good time the last time talking booze, which is my specialty over at bumwinebob.com and on the Bum with bobcat podcast. And then you threw it this time with my second specialty, which is the world of wrestling. So it's the the perfect fit there. But uh yeah, you know, I should have I, I should have been editing my own stuff tonight, <laughs> but here I am uh with with you guys instead. so <laughs> so, so you know. If if you love the world of cheap booze, bum wine, beers, 40s malt liquor, wrestling, sports, we kind of cover it all at bumwinebob.com and the the podcast is always a grab bag of of bad booze and some special guests that we we have some fun so so check it out on all your favorite podcast apps and uh yeah, that's uh Bumming with Bobcat.
2: Awesome. Can't go wrong with cheap booze and wrestling. That goes hand in no, hand like no. peanut butter and tuna yeah. fish. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah
0: you
3: know some some people like to crack open uh you know a couple drinks and watch the 87 slammies or you, you smoke uh smoke something to get yourself through it either way it works
1: <laughs> i'll tell you i'm i'm very interested we need to talk uh bum wine bob because I, I think i need a copy of that uh, slammy I, <laughs> it on tape. I need a double that one especially if they have do they have all the original commercials on there i don't
3: i don't know i'll have to go through and watch They
1: taped I mean, out the commercials didn't they i they? They, they, they might i think the they might have
3: out. i'll have to go back i'm gonna dig out the tape and uh, I'll, I'll have to watch it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right
2: joe finley why don't you tell everybody what you have
3: coming up on
2: uh miscast commentary and uh your great youtube channel
0: oh well thank you very much as always um a lot. I have a lot of content happening all at once, all the time. Uh, Miscast commentary always rocking and rolling. Uh, we got a lot of fun episodes coming out. I like to give you guys a little heads up here and there. Uh, we actually have, we're finally doing Ghostbusters after six years of doing this podcast. We'll have a commentary of Ghostbusters coming up and we got some other fun ones on the way and you can. Go check that out at youtube.com slash miscast commentary or just go see me, just me because, you know, screw my buddy. He's not here. Uh, go to youtube.com slash miscast Joe and I do things like tech reviews and streaming advice and uh, tutorials and those sorts of things over there. Awesome sauce.
2: And uh Chucky Balzac, why don't you tell the listeners what they can expect coming up on Garbage Pale Flicks.
1: Uh, well, we just did our 19th episode, um, and I want to thank uh, Mark for doing a little plug in there for uh, for Dueling Decades. That was cool. Um, and You can find me on social, you know, insta the IGs and the FBs, uh, Werewolf of Berwyn, uh, Garbage Pail Flicks, Garbage Pail Flicks VHS, and that's with a FLIX. Um, there's some fun mixes, video mixes coming up uh, on my YouTube channel, as well as uh, more retro uploads of commercials and junk uh coming up so please go and sub to that uh then the garbage pail flicks uh, vhs twitch channel where i do some streaming sometimes of uh more retro junk and of course my independent zero budget film showman's unrest the indie film is playing its first film festival this uh coming march in the great white north at the terrible two-day festival toronto uh check that out at a ride at the movies.com and uh for more info um, that. And uh, if you like hearing me ramble on, um, yeah, listen to my podcast. And uh, I'll have a wrestling uh, special coming up just in time for WrestleMania season. Uh, and it's always an honor, you guys. Thanks. It's always fun. And uh, y'all are my homies. It's great. Great times, man. Good stuff.
2: Well, you know, when you go dueling decades, you go dueling decades for life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, brother.
2: And speaking of duelers on that note, unfortunately, we're going to have to end this episode right here, but don't worry if you've missed an episode of our show, you can always head over to duelingdecades.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, really everywhere podcasts are available. And then while you're on those interwebs, why don't you surf over to facebook.com forward slash duelingdecades where you can join our private group and share some of your very own retro memories. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week. Everyone
1: Podcast
2: podcast, New York, be heard.